Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. to talk about grace unchained today. More good news. Say more good news. I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I have a hard time finding bad news. You know? And one thing I've learned over the years is there's no bad news in good news. (laughs) Amen? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter... One, Second Corinthians one, starting in verse uh, eighteen. Second Corinthians one, verse eighteen through twenty-two. It says, "But as God is faithful, uh, just those five words are good for me. I mean, oh, God is faithful. As God, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me." Silvanus and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Say yes. We're going to talk about that word yes today. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who has established us with you in Christ has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. (laughs) Amen? Remember that guy on TV that used to say that? He used to cook that that, uh, New Orleans Cajun food, and he says, I guarantee that you'll be eating some good stuff today. (laughs) But Jesus lived his life from a place of rest. He brought the peace of eternity into the space and time and within the of this temporal existence demonstrated the normal Christian life. So the question I wanted to ask this morning, does the mercy of God really endure forever? Let's go to Jeremiah 33 verse 11. It says, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. See, as long as grace exists, God exists. And as long as God exists, grace exists. Because his mercy endures forever. I mean, it's theological foolishness to downplay the grace of God in an effort to avoid error, to dilute the miraculous grace of God is an error, I tell you right now. 
But let's, let's turn in our Bibles. Let's look at something here. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 37, he says, All that the Father, Jesus says this to us, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will try by no means to cast out. I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Which then brings us to the next question and thoughts which address our ultimate inheritance in Christ. What has the Father given to the Son, and how much power does he have to redeem that what is his? It says in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, that all souls belong to God. Everything. They're all his. And John 17 says that all flesh is under his authority. And in Hebrews 1, it says Jesus inherits all things. And whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit. Not only did Jesus inherit all the promises of God, all the promises that the Father gave him, but he also inherited all the promises of Abraham. So that makes us quite full, you know, you know, quite full of it. But this points to the reason on why Jesus' ministry wasn't a 24-7 operation of striving, stress, and strain. He already knew who he was. Because he knew he, who he was, he was able to operate in that authority and rest in it and just live in it with an effortless understanding of who he was. See, Jesus' existence was filled with Talks of the kingdom of God giving grace and joy, embracing children. And in Matthew 18, he was embracing children, enjoying meals, sharing conversations, confounding religion, taking long walks on the road to Emmaus, giving advice to fishermen, healing the sick and doing good and healing the oppressed. Jesus lived as if everything truly did belong to him as if that ownership was eternal because it was. And Jesus inherits all, according to Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus' inheritance is spoken about back in Jeremiah. Let's go back there again. Jeremiah 31, 31. You can find the new covenant in the old covenant. Amen? You can find Jesus in Genesis. You can find him in Revelation and all the way through the book. But in Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that's happening, which is nestled right in the heart of the Mosaic law culture, revealing that God always had a plan to do away with that system, that old system of bulls and goats, and replace it with a better covenant. And, once, and one that would be nothing like the old one. In this covenant, he does it all, and we are the recipients of his gracious desire. And even though we are now in covenant with God, we are not going to find any spot in the New Testament where God has made a covenant specifically with me or you. 
And for that you should say amen. Because anything of the history of what's happened in the past, when God made a covenant with man, man always failed. So this new covenant was made between God and Christ, his son. And here, how's it, and here is how it works. God himself was the initiator, the high priest, and the perfect, perfect sacrifice of the new covenant. God made the new covenant with himself in Christ, and we are in Christ, so we too can celebrate all that Christ has is ours as well. And every victory he had is our victory. And that's why we, when you understand the new covenant, we don't, we, don't, we don't try to get to a place of victory. We start at, the, start at victory. The moment we're born again, we're living in victory. Amen? We're living in victory. And Jesus also got everything that God had promised Abraham. Man, then, when you read about all this stuff God promised Abraham... And we too have those promises as ours as well. For the new covenant to be broken, God would have to break it with himself, and he's not going to do that. The new covenant of grace is an eternal, is as eternal as God is, and we are complete in him. The gospel is the best good news there is or could ever be. And God had faith in you because I want you to understand something. God believes in you. God believes in you probably more than you believe in yourself. But humanity is in a constant quest for truth and trying to find the truth, and we are led to something worthy of our belief. Have you ever stopped to consider that God believes something? He has thoughts, for he has thoughts about you. He has a mind, and his mind (coughs) thinks and reasons and believes about you. God believes some things about you. More importantly, God believes in you. God has faith in you. I mean, that's, that's powerful to know, that God has faith in you. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Ain't nobody here perfect. He believes in you far more than you have the capacity to believe in him or in yourself. Remember, it's not what we believe about God that defines who he is, but it's what he believes about you that defines who you are. Let me say that again. It's not what we believe about God that defines who he is, but it's what he believes about you that defines who you are. See, our creator is not defined by his creation, but he is expressing who he is through his creation. And so then what is the point of our belief? I believe once you find out how good your heavenly father is, and how beautiful he has made this life, it becomes natural to allow the love of the Spirit to fuel the fire within you to say yes. And I, I don't know about you, there's days I sit in my house after I just think about the goodness of God, after I heard the testimony about Scarlet, <coughs> and all I said was yes. And that's all that was needed. Yes. All of his promises in him are yes and amen. And there's more to come. There's more to come. I mean, if he can do what, and some of the things he's done for all of us, it's incredible. And that yes to his goodness will infuse you with joy and celebration. But in all, it begins by tasting and seeing that your father is good all the time. He's good all the time. Philippians 1.6, let's go there. It says, being confident of this very thing, 
that he, Christ, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. Amen. Now let's address this all-important question. Does my yes matter? That's, my, that's what we want to talk about now. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Say yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who has established us with you in Christ has anointed us and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I mean, is there any room for participation on our part in the point of salvation? It's true that I may not bring absolutely nothing of value on my part to my own salvation, but that doesn't mean that I don't have no place of participation. Grace and forgiveness are strange things. And for the most, the message of the gospel starts out as good news until they accept it. And for many who are long into their relationship with, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they seem to not hear the good news once they have bought into the plan. They always wonder, you know, what's going on now? Why am I struggling so much? It was good news when I got saved, but what's happening now? Can you explain it to me, Pastor? It's still good news. Just open your heart. Amen? See, being a believer is easy for most, yet I've known many who struggle with these thoughts. Yet being a true disciple, student, is hard for most, if not all. And then to move on to mature thinking as sons and daughters, that again becomes another yes to move into that kind of kingdom thinking. Let's go to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 26. It said, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. You. Your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason within themselves, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their, their thoughts, 
he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, Rise up and walk. What was he saying? It's the same thing. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, jumping and screaming and saying, God is good all the time, glorifying God. Amen. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen some strange things today. <clears throat> now let's go to Acts chapter 16. You want to see some strange things. Just keep reading your Bible. And you'll be seeing some strange things. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas... By the way, I don't know if you were here the day that we had a man walk into this church who I'd never seen before in his life. His name was Paul. And then he had a, then at the end of the service, I had another man walk into the church, and his name was Silas. On the same day, I was preaching on Acts 16. I'd never seen either man before, and I never have seen him again. i just seen him that day. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, Say, praying and singing hymns. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately <coughs> all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. That's some powerful praise and worship. Amen? Wouldn't it be great if we could just take our worship team to a prison and then watch every, all those... Just the cell doors just pop open. Boom, boom, boom. That's what was happening. Strange, huh? Unusual. And then the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew that was the consequence. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, the worship team. They were the worship team. They were praying and singing hymns before God that night. Amen? And he, he brought them, and, and he called out for a light, ran in, and fell down. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, church. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. You and your whole household. The promise is for your whole household, all of your kids, all of your grandkids. The promise is there. Amen? 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were with him in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. And now when they had brought them out into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God and all of his households. And if that's not enough to puzzle you, you get a chance later, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, that says that an unbelieving spouse is literally sanctified by a believing spouse. That's what it says in your Bible. 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. So after reading these passages in Scripture, salvation isn't quite as much as a cut and dried stale formula as you would want to think. But sometimes... In the American Western mind, we've made it look like that, that it's cut and dry and it's stale and it's some kind of formula. But when you read your Bible, there's many unusual things that happen in the midst of salvation experiences. See, the grace of God, while able to be manifested, must be accessed beyond a formula-based point to eternal life. Salvation must be an invitation to awaken to the dream on the lover of my soul's heart. And then you'll see this, what we respond to with our yes and amen. And if there's no response on our part, that that is not much of a relationship. Because he wants to have a relationship with us. And he just wants us to say yes. Can you say yes? Can you say yes to the promises of God? All the promises are his. And they're mine too. Not only those promises, but the promises of Abraham are ours as well. Amen? And then 2 Corinthians, go 2 Corinthians 3.16. This says, <clears throat> this one verse, it says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil, talking about the Old Covenant, the veil is taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken taken away. And then let's go back to 2 Corinthians. We are there. Chapter 3. Oh, we were there just there. We were just 3.16. So 3.17 and 18. It says, now, the next verse says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. Amen? But we all with unveiled beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So amazing benefit, revelation, sight, insight, and identity are revealed in the heart that turns to God. When you turn your heart to God, everything changes. Everything in your life changes. And I do believe there's something relationally vital and life-giving about Declaration, saying it out loud. You know, when God gives you a promise or he, he gives you a, a gas, you know, a, a wood-burning stove in your house, at the same time they're putting on the roof, you just go on ahead and say yes and amen. And when a, little, when a mom overhears daughter for the first time hears a sound at the voice range, and she decides to run around the church seven times because the Holy Spirit prompts her, you just say yes and amen. And maybe someday you'll just join her and celebrate with her because she's hearing the Holy Spirit. 
and we're not going to muzzle the Holy Spirit in this house. Amen? Because there's something about declaration. We have to voice activate our words. We've got to voice activate our faith. And confess, and that reveals the abundance of the heart as we come alive and respond to the good news. We can never discount the expression of the lover's heart in responding to the embracing of love itself. And that communication is what makes our awareness of his presence conscious and positions our heart for the revelation in this communion. We have a living union with a glorified Jesus who is united with us by his choice. I said by his choice. Sometimes I have said that the purest salvation prayer, whatever that we could ever have, would be Jesus. I chose you as you have chosen me. Why does I say that? Because in John chapter 15, verse 16, if you'll turn there with me, it doesn't say you chose him. It says that he chose you long before you chose him. You were chosen long before you said yes to Jesus. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. Say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, after every phrase here, you could say, yes, you did not choose me. Yes, that's right. I didn't. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Amen. So you see, our yes is just the beginning. I mean, there's something powerful about by just agreeing and saying yes to the promises of God in your life. Jesus never asked or called us to make believers or converts. In my Bible, it says he calls us to make disciples. Jesus was talking to believers and saying to them these words, in John 8, let's go there, John 8, John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone should ask the Romans that they were under at that point. How can you say you will, you will be made free? <laughs> Boy, were they clueless about spiritual things like most of the church today. They were already believers, so what was next? See, Jesus never begged anyone to follow him. He invited people to follow. I think that was a powerful thing that Robin shared with us a couple of weeks ago. He says we shouldn't be begging anybody to follow us. We just to say when we know somebody, we meet somebody, we talk to them about Jesus, and they want to know what to do next, to say, follow me. What I do, you do. Where I go, you go. And we'll learn together in our relationship. Even Apostle Paul said to to, to, those, to those who followed him in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Apostle Paul said, Imitate me just as I also, also imitate Christ. Perhaps the reason we don't all have more disciples today is because there aren't a lot of Christians that feel they're worth following. 
say it again. Perhaps the reason we don't have more disciples today is because there aren't a lot of Christians that feel they are worth following. But social media has revealed something we've just begun to understand. Everyone has followers. And th- is, is, the way we loved, is the way we love Jesus encouraging our followers to follow Christ? Is the way we love Jesus encouraging our followers? Do you believe so does the devil? I mean, the devil and his demons believe. If you only have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then the devil is a believer because he absolutely knows that. Yet the devil and his demons refuse to obey his word and the Bible. So on that basis, there's a lot of Christians that may have more in common with the devil than they thought. Because they believe, but they don't live the way of Christ. They don't follow his footsteps. They don't follow his words. They don't follow his ways. See, discipleship is the revelation that your belief is about to cost you something. And you go ahead and believe anyway. Discipleship is the cost of believing. His yes over you is once and for all. And our yes to him is contested every day. We can become believers in a moment by faith, but it takes a lifetime to be a disciple. Discipleship, like sonship, is not about making a choice between heaven and hell. It's a choice between the way of Christ and the ways of this world. But as Christians, we willfully live beneath our inheritance when we choose the ways of the world over the ways of our master. It is in the way of the master that we discover abundant life. It is when we discover the good news. We realize it's really all about union with Christ. And I'm not inviting you to merely believe, though that is important. I am like Christ, inviting you to be a disciple, a student, a lifetime learner, a son and daughter of God. And to commit yourself to a life of hearing and obeying the voice of the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you my final passage in John 15. John 15, verse 7 and 8. Jesus' words to us, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my, what? Disciples. So you will be my disciples. You see that being in a dynamic relationship with God requires both the ability to know his heart and our ability to follow his voice. Meaning we must believe that we belong in this relationship. And when Jesus sent out his disciples in Luke 9 and Matthew 10, they didn't know what to believe about Jesus. (laughs) They simply knew he was good. And they followed his words. And that's all it takes to begin a life with God. Anything anyone tries to give you that diminishes grace in your life will exalt works. Salvation is the gift of the new covenant in Christ alone. Jesus is the great high priest 
the sacrifice and the Holy One seated on the throne, and His once-for-all suffering and offering did more than we can imagine in this lifetime. If the blood of a goat could take away the sin of a nation for a whole year under the law, what do you think the blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world is about? Takes away the sin of the whole world. It's never dying again. It's done. It's finished. It's not going to be repeated, no matter how many times you want it repeated. And when you know when you're knower, you literally feel inside of you, in your knower, you feel the good news of the gospel living within you. And it's the embrace, the embrace. It's the embrace of divine union. And once you know the good news, it's easy. When you know what God can do, it's easy to follow him and be a disciple. And not only a disciple, but even a little more mature sons and daughters of God. And when you know you're a son of God or a daughter of God, sinning is not an issue. It's not an issue any longer. Amen? you Lord worship you knowing that we are sons and daughters of the living God hallelujah what a beautiful thing
your truth. Your mercy is the shade I'm living in. You restore my faith and hope again. And all I did was worship. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was Better your 
I'd like to end with the four scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then 16, 13, and 14 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all you do be done with love. Have a great week. Lord bless you all.